Y'all, welcome back to Kentucky Fried Wargaming, where two guys who aren't qualified to talk about anything decide to talk about a game with hard math and chance. I'm Joe. And I'm John. And John, I just want to say at the top, I did that intro without looking at a note where I expressly wrote it down. Uh, we've been doing this for like over a year, man. <laughs> I, You would think it's locked in there, but every time we go to hit record, my brain goes, what if you forget it? Is your... Uh, is your brain also a strainer and thoughts are water? <laughs> yeah, nothing stays in there. Nothing at all stays in there. I haven't had a thought since 1998. Yeah, nothing. everything's dead behind those eyes, to be honest. Yeah, although it turns out it's because I'm not sleeping. So, you know, <laughs> plot twist. Yeah, that's a fun bit. So my brain's mush, but it held together enough to start the podcast. Hey, potatoes are st- mashed potatoes are still potatoes. It okay. counts. I'll take it. On this episode of Kentucky Fried Wargaming, we're going to try to get ourselves together enough to fulfill the promise we made a couple of weeks back to y'all. And that was that we were going to follow our own hobby inspirations, and we were going to spend the next two episodes of the podcast, this being the second, talking about factions that just caught our eye lately. Nothing, you know, sort of hot and spicy or really controversial in the community just talking about some stuff we think is cool that we had a good time reading through and playing and this episode is going to be the second faction after last time we covered custodies the golden guardians of the emperor this episode we're going to get a little more dirty we're talking about a cult (laughs) yes a little more cult-like because uh, John can't help himself and will never play against type. And he got grabbed by the custodies. Not the custodies, Jeed Stealer calls. I mean, I'm going to get grabbed by the custodies if you know what I mean, because <laughs> I'm playing little bastards. <laughs> <laughs> the custodies do grab on a two plus. Three <laughs> only do. ones. They got those grippy hands. The custodies got the gorilla grip. <laughs> they do. They crush you. <clears throat> but that's okay, because the Gene Stealer cults come rockin' with, like, 8 million people. Um, they're just, like, a horde army, like, guard, but also with Tyranid Claws. And, uh, what a weird combination. And one that is going to be very interesting to watch John struggle to try to make sense out of. Yeah, it's a... I'm gonna forewarn at the top. This is a dense book for both lore and rules. I am not touching on all of it. It is a huge brief overview at best. And so if there are more specific things you want to know about, I probably have read it. If not, I will, if you would tell me about them. And uh, <laughs> I have no problem talking about it. I just didn't want to have a seven hour long episode about Gene Cena Colts. Yeah, this book is one that's definitely harder to get into. And I bounced right the hell off of it. <laughs> um I tried to read the cross, the single crossfire rule, and my eyes crossed, and I quit. I crossfire. couldn't do it. Crossfire! Yeah, I, you could not make me under threat of death. Uh, it's too much. But for John, it's just enough. But before we can talk about that, the music says we have to talk about hobby time and games played. And we always follow the music, don't we, Joe?
Well, John, the music is played, so we could talk about hobby time and games played. So, John, what hobbies have you played or games? Well, I haven't played any games uh, the last couple of weeks. Life's been very busy. Everyone that I would be like normally playing games with are also very busy. There's just a lot going on. Um, but hobby-wise, I have gotten a significant amount of jeans that are cold. Printed, built, converted, mm-hmm. primed. <laughs> uh, I've been doing a lot of that. There's a lot there to work through. And like I've been working on basing schemes. Um, I've been working on a lot of Beast of Chaos for Joe Hammercon. A lot. That's coming up in two weeks. Yes, I found some from time of recording. I've been doing a shitload of painting for Beastmen. The new update came out for Beastmen, and it's amazing. Uh, So I I had to rewrite my list. That was fun. Overall, great time. Uh, I did take a break off of the wargaming painting to paint a couple of things that are not Warhammer or just wargaming related. They're just fun little pieces to paint. It's like palette cleansers <laughs> to kind of get my, my creative juices flowing and test out some schemes and stuff I want to do for Gene Sealer Cult, but on a non-Gene Sealer Cult model. Yeah, it's kind of uh, low risk and low energy, so you get to just kind of dive in and have a good time. Yeah, and uh, with the world out there, I often sometimes feel the daunting task of painting an army is a lot, whereas like painting this one thing that I'm trying to just do whatever on uh is very relaxing and i I often fall into doing that so i'm still doing some sort of hobby without like oh i gotta slug through these 40 neophytes or these 30 pure strain gene stealers or these three goliath trucks not that i don't love these models it's that it's a different different flavor sometimes and uh well Total Warhammer 3 came out, and then I found out I liked Elden Ring, so I've also played a lot of video games. Oh no! Yeah, the Elden Ring happened. I did not expect the Elden Ring to happen, but it that grabbed me. That old jewelry, man! That old jewelry got me good. I did not think I would be playing this stupid Dark Soul. Like, alright, I played that there Sekiro, and that Sekiro was cool, but like, I was a firm believer that like Dark Souls 1 and 2 sucked. <laughs> and like yeah, Dark Souls 3 was okay, I guess. But okay, this game has a samurai in it, so you can automatically like it more than the rest of them because really we know you're just a weeb on a tractor. But god, yes. That's I want that faction. Give me that faction. <laughs> Samurais on tractor, please god. Uh they uh, pulled the Mantis Warriors? Uh, yes. I, I did, uh, I tried to play a prisoner, so I'd be like, yeah, I'm a dexterity sales, like, spell sword. Uh, and I did that for just, like, ten levels before I realized that sucks. So, I, I was bored, and I started over a samurai, and had way more fun. Um, yeah, that game's good, y'all. That game's real good. Although, much like with John, it does feel a little asinine to be having fun playing it, while, you know, world events unfold over there in Ukraine. It's a little weird. Shout out and, to our Ukraine listeners. I know yeah, like I was just going to say, like, John and I, we didn't talk about up. that. But a quick aside, because it would be a damn shame for us not to. Uh, we've, you know, been shocked by our analytics of some of the places in the world where we have people who listen to the show. And I'm not even sure how y'all found it. Um, but if any of y'all out there are in Ukraine right now, uh, man, that's absolute garbage what Putin's doing to you. And uh, you got our support entirely. Please stay safe. We're backing you. We hope you win. And, uh, you know, we'll try to give you a little bit of uh, solace and goofy time while you're in the middle of an absolute hellhole of a situation. Um, 
It ain't much, but if we can give you, what, an hour, hour and a half to have a little bit of fun, we're happy to do so. And uh, hopefully keep doing so once you're out of this and on the other side. Yeah, I wanted to give that one a but, moment to breathe. But as we promised, back to the funnies, I guess. Haha, <laughs> dick joke. Laugh, ha laugh. Ha, talk about cocks. Um, talk about cocks. Uh, so what have you been doing, Joe? Yeah. Uh, well, other than like watching the news a little obsessively, um, I have been trying to prep for Joe HammerCon, largely, since it's, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, we are two weeks out as we are recording this. So, you know, the deadline's getting closer. So, uh, for about the past month, I have been working on Caradron Overlords, and I am now in the final sprint of the home stretch. Uh, I got all of the army done, and as of last episode, uh, I think between now and then, I got all the army done, except for the frigate and the ironclad. And the frigate is about 90% done. I need to paint some green on the bombs, and then wash it. And the frigate will be complete, and that'll just leave the big boat. But I just found out yesterday my big boat will not get shipped here in time by Games Workshop. Which really kind of puts a damper on my plans, John. Yeah, and it's not like a super cheap piece. So like just buying a second one. No. Doesn't really, is that really feasible? No, it's not. From a different like supplier. And on top of that, like. It just kind of sucks. <laughs> it does. It does. And like, I looked for uh, proxies to 3D print. Yeah, there ain't any of them out there. Um, which puts me in a tight, tight spot. I do have one friend who plays Caradron Overlords who I can maybe borrow an ironclad from, but it won't be painted. And I will at least be able to play. But man, it is going to absolutely take the wind out of my sails. If I work so hard to get everything painted in time for Joe HammerCon, and I put my order in really early, and I still end up with my huge centerpiece, the main portion of my army, unpainted. I'd be fine, Joe. I'll just shoot it off the table first. Or, like, fight it off the table. I'll just throw Minotaurs at it until it comes down to the ground at the edge of death. Then you don't have to look at the Great Plastic anymore. That'd be awfully nice of you. you only have a painted army. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm here for. I'm your friend. I'm just going to be sad while it's on the table. And sad when it dies. And then happy when you kill all the cows. Yeah, we'll see. Um, Yeah, it's just... It's kind of taken my hype down a little. But what can you do? Uh, Otherwise, though, I will almost have a fully painted Caradron Overlord's army. I'll have 1,500 points painted. Which is not as cool, but is still an accomplishment, I guess. Yeah. And there's nothing to say that we can't play with fully painted forces later. Yeah, I guess. But once I set a goal, I really like to hit them goals. I'm like a dog. I know. You're a goal-driven, like, Labrador Retriever. I just want to work at it, man. Like, I just want to hit the thing. And I I was going to hit the thing. Like, I was going to slam dunk this frigate this weekend, and despite the family emergency stuff, and then have two weeks to paint the Ironclad. Like, my schedule worked out great. Just, I did not account on Games Workshop logistic issues. But, you know, given where the world is, like it makes sense. Just unfortunate. I mean, it can make sense, but also suck shit. So. Yeah, it can be both. It can be both. Uh, so I'm just going to try to find a stand-in from somebody, and uh, at least then I can play for the weekend. And uh, hopefully that's enough. Um, other than that, been kind of looking at the towel, because once Joe HammerCon's over, um, 
I don't know, I want to paint a little bit of 40k stuff, or maybe that they're Infinity, which is getting me more and more interested. Um, listen to like a 45 minute podcast on the cultural origins of Hakislam and whether it's good or if it's just like odd orientalist crap. Turns out overwhelmingly good. So I might do a little research there, but I'm seeing the end of this Joe Hammercon sprint and I'm kind of starting to look towards whatever my next project will be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. I'm staring down the barrel of multiple projects. Uh, some of which are GW. Some of them are not GW. Really churning along. I, I think that I'm on, I'm putting a hold on any more uh, AOS armies. I think the Beast of Chaos and the Skaven and the Cruel Boys eventually will be enough. I think that will definitely Honestly, the be cruel enough. Boys are, I think the Cruel Boys are actually probably going to get shelved for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> just the more I look at the book, the more I go, man, there's really only two ways to play those dudes. And I would rather just play Beastmen and Skaven for a while. Mm-hmm. I think um, you'll have more they're, fun they're with those boys. other two. They're more my flavor. Um, and then on in the 40K side, like I have a ton of different stuff. Really just kind of waiting for World Eaters, a guard update, and I'm going to play Gene Sealer Colt until one of those two things happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's bound to happen eventually. Yeah, and then a later I can use the guard to like, run a narrative campaign of like, it starts as guard forces and gets perpetually more and more like mutated into like Gene Sealer Colt. <sighs> it'd be a fun narrative to play filthy xenos i say yeah, as i'm looking could... forward to painting tau robot suits <laughs> i have a terrible hypocrite yeah, but that, that's different kind of xenos we'll get into that <laughs> there'll be an episode on the tau don't you worry uh but for now john i think it is probably time to break into the good stuff of what the hell stole my jeans oh that's a terrible joke Hope you feel proud of yourself. I do! Alright, John. I am pantsless and hosting this podcast. Just like last time. We're going to break this thing down into a couple of sections. So that everybody can try to follow along with our explanations. We explained it in the last episode, but if you missed it, briefly, we'd like to take these and break them into little sections uh, so because we know that everybody's not equally interested in all bits. Uh, so first, and the one that we like the most, we're going to talk about the lore of the faction. What they do in the setting, where they came from, sort of what their shtick is, goals, and things like that. Because it really is kind of the foundation by which you, you base all of your thoughts around a force, at least for us. After that, we're going to get into tabletop stuff, and how it ties to the lore, and what their sort of steez is as playing around on the table with little plastic models and such. And then lastly, we're going to talk about how do you get started with this faction if everything we're saying is kind of hitting home for you. You know, if we're going through these descriptions and you're getting more and more excited about what we're saying, and you really want to get started, we want to help you get going in a sort of way that is efficient and cost-effective, or at least as much as that's possible, because sometimes it's not. Uh, and a quick disclaimer, as mentioned with the Custodies, we are talking about this soon after release of the book, and that means some of this might be subject to change. 
while the keystone touch points of the faction are not going anywhere, you know, they might come out with new boxes that help you get into it in a different way over time or something like that. Or maybe like FAQ some rules and stuff for their tabletop. But we're going to do our best to try to make the episode as ever like evergreen as we can with just general good advice for the faction to help you guys kind of get oriented to it as much as possible. And with that in mind, John, what the hell's a jeans dealer? Well, you see, they walk into this Walmart and they take all of the Wranglers. I knew it. Every single one of them. Boot cut, straight fit. All Skinny? Over... Yeah. Uh, have you ever seen them make skinny Wranglers? No, but I'm picturing it now. <laughs> it's amazing. Like, I'm picturing like that cheap, cheap blue denim that looks like an overripe blueberry, uh, but also with like fake stress around it and tight as fuck. Uh, well, you know what else and work is tight boots. as fuck? God, work boots. You know what else has work boots and is tight as fuck? Hmm. These jeans are called <sighs> great transition. So <laughs> ten out of ten podcast. <laughs> so the the best way you can describe jeans that are called from the chorist level is it is a secret society built over generation after generation of generation to institute a revolution or an overthrow of the imperial government or a Xenos government. There are Xenos jeans that are cults that prepare a planet for a Tyranid invasion or perpetuate the cult onto other planets to prepare a system for a Tyranid invasion, Mm -hmm. right? That's the elevator pitch. But when you go past the elevator pitch and how they accomplish this is where it gets very interesting and very complicated. Okay. Um, Putting on my tinfoil hat. Yeah, put on the tinfoil hat. So the, the way this all starts is... A gene sealer will land on a planet or be trapped on a space hulk that crashes into a planet or on a space station or is like an egg trapped in a place. Very alien. I was just going to say, all right, I've seen Alien. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love that movie. Uh, Then I does something called the gene stealer's kiss, which basically inserts a bunch of like tiered DNA into somebody. Um, Can happen a bunch of different ways. I mean, much like Alien that like... You saw how it happened in that I mean, movie. this sounds like a it Chuck Tingle here. book, just a tad. It is a little bit like a Chuck Tingle Oh, book. no. Uh, the jeans stealer stole my jeans and pounded my butt by Chuck Tingle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, like that, I guess. The, yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> jeans stealer pounded my butt and stole my Wranglers. And, uh, oops, now all my kids are mutants. Uh, tiered mutants. <laughs> I love this. This is the greatest elevator pitch. Yeah, so once the gene stealer kiss happens, they kind of become attached to the the hive mind of that specific gene stealer, and that gene stealer becomes the patriarch, which is like the head of that cult. Mm -hmm. And then they start creating more of each other. So really just like just snatching people into the sewers and caves and whatnot to turn them? Yes, turn them, and then they, like, once they have kids, those kids are already indoctrinated into the cult because they're born indoctrinated to the hive mind, and so on and so forth. And as generations continue, they start looking different. They start getting different features. There's aberrations to specific generations that allow them to get certain 
like leader types. So think of like the Tyranids' ability to morph their biology to adapt to mm-hmm. things. They do this over generations. So you get like Magus, which are wizards, essentially, like Tyranid space wizard cultists. And then you get like Sanctus, which are like biologically changed so they are really good snipers with extremely good reflexes can that can fight stuff or like the keller morph which is an extre- extremely charismatic sharpshooter ah big iron on like his they, hip they all get a roll is that the guy yeah, rooting tooting three gun shooting feller but what is what and what is interesting is that they they slowly move away from like the tyranid bug-like thing all the way until the last generation in which the last generation Oddly enough, becomes uh, extremely tyrannid, and huh. they start birthing pure strain gene stealers, which are just gene stealers. Like they're having babies that are gene stealers. Interesting. And what's terrifying is that those babies that are actually gene stealers, the people who birth them look at them like they're not gene stealers. They look at them like they're children, like blessed Messiah children. Because the indoctrination and the mind effects of the hive mind is so strong. All right, John. This is sounding a little less alien and a little more of the hills have eyes, but I'm following. Yeah, it's terrifying. Um, What makes it worse is that a lot of these forces are insidious in that they actively co-op the misery of some of the lower rungs of imperial society. So to, to touch on this, even like briefly, I'm not doing it great justice, um, the Imperium of Man is known as the cruelest regime to ever exist in humankind. I mean, fair. They, like, people are working 18-hour days in which the only six hours they have off, they are forced to just sleep and eat. Like, that kind of, like, life. So it is constant work. It is constant suffering. Uh, you are put into a meat grinder, whether it's in bureaucracy, the manufactorums, in war in farming and everything right or you're in a gang or like like there's an immeasurable amount of suffering for the vast majority of the human race in the imperium and so what the gene stealer cult does is it will take some of these people not just kidnapping them and bringing them in but convincing them to join this this group because if you join us we can we can overthrow the imperium and we'll We'll institute a, a, a nicer, better government, and we'll do this and do that. And for a lot of them, they believe it. And then the cult takes on that identity. But the patriarch behind the scenes is manipulating these people's good intention to get the tyrants there. And once the invasion has fully happened, and like the, they think that they're fighting alongside these tyrannids, and they're taking down the empire, and they're like, we're, we are killing these turbo space fascists, and we're going to... To take the fight to them, we're going to build a better future for ourselves as the Tyranid High Fleets then start harvesting the planet. They are cut off immediately from the Hive Mind before they are harvested. And they, the realization of everything they've done and how all of it's fake and none of it was real all comes crashing to them at once and they die. Damn. Yeah, it's Eaten dark. by it's your own Star Guard. They yeah. got Cthulhu, like, Cthulhu cultist. Yeah. And so it's it's pretty dark. It's very Lovecraftian in nature. Yeah. And... I mean, it's a cult that it, is formed in the shadows of 
society trying to summon this great being from another realm that will tear down the order and prop up a new one. But in the end, the, the order doesn't really involve you, you puny human. Yeah, and, and you have... There's all sorts of different sub-factions that approach this in a different way with different ideologies, which I think is great. And there's a huge metaphor to be said here that the Gene Steeler cult are like so desperate. Like The people who join these cults are so desperate for any sort of change. They are willing to burn down everything they know for a day of freedom. Um, which is pretty thought-provoking. Like It's pretty great. Yeah. The sub-faction I'm the most, the biggest fan of uh, is called the Rusted Claw. Right, and I, and I can't talk about all of the sub-actions here, mm -hmm. but I'm going to talk about the Rusted Claw for a second. Because though they don't have a ton of lore out there, I think they're fun. I think they're great. So what the Rusted Claw are, in two words, are nomadic nihilists. Right? Whereas the rest of Genius Lair cults are you know, commonly found in hive cities and like underground, within these big complexes or these sewer systems, the Rusted Claw are found scattered all over mining planets or agri-worlds or just these feudal worlds that there's all over the place and the rest of claw is perpetuated itself across systems in uh what is it the eastern ultra ultra segmentum mm -hmm. the right? ultimate segment perpetuate themselves yeah. yeah they perpetuated themselves past their normal bounds like even into like the guard of these cities, like the PDF, stuff like that. And they are, their origins are that of miners that uncovered a gene stealer while trying to mine. And they were like the miners already were planning a like revolt against the, the nobles that were taking all of the wealth from them and giving them nothing in return, like giving them scraps. Like people were starving to death while working because they didn't have enough food to eat while working. And the they just whole like whole hog hopped onto this ideology and went yes we're down, and the fascinating part about them is that they they know that none of it matters mm -hmm. like they know they're gonna die at the end they're incredibly nihilistic they are not materialistic they are very utilitarian everything is a, is a means to an end all of it huh but they still do it. Like they still just want to tear all of it down because to them it is better to watch this 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 hate machine fueled by blood bro break, even if it's for something that just destroys everything, because to them it is so much worse to let it continue happening than to just do nothing and let the suffering continue with no end. Um, which is also very dark like to know that you are summoning a god like essentially a godlike being that is going to devour an entire planet and all life on it and you go yeah that's better than uh what we currently got <laughs> yeah when when the hungering void of eternity seems like the good option man stuff's bad stuff's real yeah, bad it's really really bad and like i'm not saying they're right but it's an understandable place when, like, every generation that you've ever known has, like, died by the time they're 40 in a, in a mine from, like, I don't know, red lung on, like, a Mars planet. Like, 
I mean, it, they got a point. Yeah, like it's accelerationist theory at its like most pinnacle. I don't want to say best because it's not. It's a not best. It's awful. <laughs> I get it. Uh, yeah, um, but they're rugged survivalists. So what, what's interesting about their biology is that all of their biology is now have this like hardened, like almost carapace-like skin, where their skin has actually turned into like multiple la- layers of small shell. And so what that means is they're extremely hardy individuals against things like sand or like environmental hazards, even like some low, like small arms fire or melee weapons, they can kind of shrug off. They become these rugged survivalists and their biology's changed to the point where they need less water to drink than a normal human being in order to continue staying out in the desert. I mean, you can't drink too much water. You'll get addicted to it. Yeah. Mad Max. Woo. Uh, They also... Much prefer being in things with wheels. <laughs> yeah, so Mad Max. Runners. Yeah, yeah. They love the Ridge Runners. They love the Goliaths. They love the uh, Adeline Jackals. They love the Yamaha 250F. Like, they... hey, you looked up a model number. Yeah, <laughs> I learned about dirt bikes, so Joe would stop heckling. It me. only took two uh... months. <laughs> That's to show you, everyone out there, peer pressure is good. Uh, you know, they, they have a ton of two specific types of, uh, leader units or like leader alterations. And that is Jackal Alphas, which are like the, the best version of the bike dudes, which the bike dudes are rad. Uh, until like I read deep into the bike dudes, I didn't realize that all of them are like raised together and they have a psychic link with one another. So when they're riding around on their dirt bikes together, they're communicating subconsciously so that they never hit each other and can work in tandem like a wolf pack. God, that's awesome. Yeah, right? Like what if you and your buds could all like just psychically connect to one another while riding around on your dirt bikes and never crash and just have like the best time? John, you gotta go buy a dirt bike. <laughs> I'll teach you how to ride. We'll have, we're gonna have a blast. Well, it's such a great time. Uh, I'm gonna just start uh, googling dirt bike shotgun holsters for no particular reason. Yes. Uh, and the Jackal Alphas is a like solitary version of that. That is one that goes out on solo missions of reconnaissance and like target acquisition and target elimination because uh, they're impeccably good snipers. And it's very cool. Like, they're, they're very good. And then on the other side, you have the Keller Morph, which is uh, Billy the Nid. Yeah. Big iron on his hip. Cowboy hat. Red bandana. Carries around three. Called, they are named Liberator Auto Stubs, which are just uh, big fucking revolvers. Rooting, tooting, <laughs> big three fucking, guns shooting. Yeah, they got three arms. They got three guns. They shoot a bunch of guns, pew, 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 out in the sky. It's great. They are they are revolutionaries that are actively trying to like kill and assassinate enemy politicians, things like that. Um, actually, in Adrian Travosky's book Day of Ascension, which is kind of a new book, there's a Keller morph in that. Like you get to see that in the narrative of the book, which is great. Huge fan. God, that's cool. Yeah, I love that model. It's probably my favorite model. Oh, I don't know though. Their trucks are also gorgeous. Like, I they're they're not Toyota Tacomas, but man, they look like you know little Tacomas or Hiluxes. Just so cool. Well, 
I'll, like, I'll be honest, there's this uh, little subgroup within Gene Sealer Cult that's just like dirt bikes, four wheelers, trucks, and like yeehaw. Like that, that all together is where I went. Yeah, I don't play this faction. <laughs> like, you can you can get like a three armed like little dude with like rad sunglasses that has the uh, power drill, and he's just like like Abaddon comes walking up to some dude with a Dewalt power drill, and he just goes and like throws <laughs> <laughs> a hole in his chest. Does not give two shits. He's got a Milwaukee with at least half battery. He's ready to die. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's the other thing about the force is that they don't like they use, you can use like guard, right. And they've infiltrated the guard and PDF, but they mostly just kind of use tools Mm -hmm. that they've modified as weapons. So like they take mining equipment and use that in combat. So like the, the, the jackal, like the jackal bike dudes will run by as they're cycling to their buds and go, throw a satchel charge. That's meant for like, deep sea mining or just like mining in general and uh, just throw them on dudes and just throw dynamite at dudes as they drive by and they'll go red and they do backflips and everything explodes. Huge. Love fit. that. God, that's cool. Yeah. And they've got, they've just got a whole bunch of stuff like that. Uh, it's a, it's, it used to be a mostly melee force, but now they've sort of, shifted into being more balanced on the largely thanks to crossfire crossfire which i think is actually the perfect transition because you know if that's the lore how does that exactly translate to a tabletop because let's be honest sometimes the lore is dead on but others eh, a little off uh yeah and i will say with this faction specifically the rules are so much flavor to fit what this army is that it's kind of intimidating. Mm-hmm. Like th- there's a there's a phrase within the book which is like a plan generations in the making. And I'll be honest, if you have to plan to make your plans on what you're going to plan to do when you go to play this game with this faction. Um, and before we get too deep into the rules, I want to preface with, I have not gotten to play a test game with the new Gene Steeler cult rules. I played them back when their book first came out in seventh edition, and I played them at the beginning of eighth edition, but I've not played them in ninth edition. Mm-hmm. We tried to squeeze so, uh, in a game before we recorded this, but just couldn't make it happen. No, uh, I have read the book front to cover. Uh, watch a bunch of stuff about it, and then I took notes about the book again. So I've I've got a little bit of knowledge, but note that I haven't tested any of this knowledge. It is mostly like the vibe check. That being said, I'm not trying to teach you how to like master this force. I'm not trying to teach you how to play it per se. I'm trying to explain what the vibe of playing the force is. Mm-hmm. And I'm also going to say this book is very wide. This book can do a lot. Um, even on the competitive level, they are still coming up with new builds and they've been out for weeks and there is nobody going, this is the definitive Gene Steeler cult build. It's a very diverse book. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a while for this one to get, you know, as they say, figured out. And I don't think that it ever will, to be honest. I think that this book actually just changes constantly depending on where the meta's mm-hmm. at. 
more so than any that's, other book because everyone does to a degree yeah i mean that's the nice thing about it being a toolbox faction with a whole bunch of options sitting on the bench that they can kind of pull different stuff off as needed and the internal balance of the book is so good from what i i can see at least that you can kind of take whatever unit you want to a degree mm-hmm. but we'll get started so the first thing to note is that these are big brain like this is a big brain faction eat your wheaties before playing them make sure you're like alert don't play this when you're tired this is not the faction to break out and play at 2 a.m with your butts oh not unless you want to lose and get all your rules wrong <laughs> yeah uh, maybe if you've been playing this faction as your primary faction for months you could pull it off but it's uh there's a lot to remember right so preface that at the very beginning of this it certainly is worth mentioning because i know you know, some people want giant brain books. Other people do not. Because <laughs> they're yes. exhausting so to play. It, so just they can't yeah, walk in with the knowledge. Yeah. Uh, unless you're me. Because if, if, a, if a faction is too simple to play, I often just kind of start zoning out and then I can't focus. But like the more complicated and moving parts there are, the more I'm engaged with it. It's weird. Anyways, to, to sum it up, Whereas Guard is like a centralized line force where we have Wave 1, Wave 2, Wave 3 with like regimented combined arms to kind of push up the table, push objectives, form battle lines, form firing lanes, shoot each other. Uh, or like Oryx is a horde that just moves forward and just wog. Or Tau is a kind of ebb and flow, move and shoot, like lure, trap, shoot kind of faction. Mm-hmm. Gene Stealer Cult are just a completely decentralized force. Um, when you first deploy, you deploy with blips. You don't even deploy units. And so until your first movement phase or the end of your opponent's first movement phase, whichever comes first, is when you expose your units. Mm-hmm. And you can put so much of it in Deep Strike, and there's so many ways of manipulating Deep Strike with them. I mean, they're when they go into Deep Strike, they automatically go eight inches away instead of nine inches away, which is very impressive. Huh, that's cool. Yeah, so they're incentivized to take half the force and kind of put it somewhere else. But they have also lots of scout moves, lots of like movement shenanigans in general to like redeploy and everything else. Like uh, they move so much in the deployment slash movement phase in the beginning of the game, it's hard for your opponent to even figure out what direction they're coming Mm -hmm. from because they're coming from all angles. And that's the vibe you're supposed to have with them. Like kind of like popping out of like sewers and basements and off rooftops and coming in from all directions. Literally tunneling Uh, their way up from under your feet. Right. Which does make it a little bit more difficult to do things like the aura buffs that a lot of people like to use where they'll like form a death star around an aura a little bit more difficult to do here. Yeah, no like hardcore you, captain lieutenant circle that you can really pull off. Yeah, so you're kind of wanting to make a mixture of like little pockets of resistance at certain places while also having individual units and toolbox kits that you want around to do stuff. Uh, engaging where you need to while working on secondary objectives, denying your opponent's secondary objectives, and also pushing the primaries. It's a very objective-based uh, army, they have some ability to do decent shooting and decent fighting, but they are mostly a objective-based take my objective off of like guile and tricks army. 
They are not the best shooters. They are not the best fighters. And they are not the toughest. And they're not even the fastest. They just have a lot of weird tricks. This is the exact opposite of the custodies. Yes, they are the exact opposite of the custodies. Um, and they have some interesting, like, faction-specific rules, like crossfire. Crossfire! Which allows you... Crossfire! Which allows you to put, like, tokens on things, as, like, people are basically lighting up one thing and then other people gang up on them to get plus one to hit. And then exposed, which is if something has a crossfire token, and you can kind of like D&D draw a line between two units with a unit in the center that you're trying to shoot, they're exposed and you get plus one to wound. Hmm. Uh, Very cool. It sounds much harder to pull off. And in the book, when you read it, it takes like three paragraphs to, to figure out that that's what they're saying because they had to rule to like make it rules lawyer proof. But it's a very fun mechanic that is doable if you plan to do it right. But don't expect to get exposed on everything that you're fighting without overexposing yourself, which is the hard part. Yeah, it's a cool bonus. But because, if you, you know, if you sort of put your units out in the open to get it, it it's not worth doing. As from what I've seen, it seems like a thing that you really want to bait your opponent into doing, or like if your opponent overextends, you punish them for. Right? Mm-hmm. But you're not going to like naturally or organically get it all too often. Because it's also only with certain units that have the crossfire rule. So, like, you can't crossfire with gene stealers because they don't have guns. They've got claws. I mean, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. And so a lot of the a lot of the rules end up just making sense once you play with them a while, a bit. But the f- initial time you're playing with them, you have to, like, okay, we'll I have to double check this and then this and then this and then this. But as you get used to it, it looks like it's going to just kind of fall into place. And it will all start clicking and making sense as you, like, maneuver these things around. Hmm. I mean, it sounds kind of like what the the lore lines up as, you know, this decentralized faction that really only has a patriarch to guide them and everybody else is sort of like a sleeper cell just waiting to be activated to cause chaos. Hmm. Yes. Uh, That's 100% what the vibe is. Now... I am also going to say that this faction is very hard because you have to plan ahead of time and know what your opponents can do and what they're capable of to really make a good plan. Mm -hmm. And if your opponent recognizes what your plan is, (laughs) they can counter it um, pretty easily most of the time. And so you need to kind of like plan that they're going to plan and then you're going to plan for that kind of thing, uh, which is... Difficult for some players. For some players, that's too too tinfoil hatty. Ah, but there are some out there who are thinking of the poisoned cup clip from Princess Bride. Yes, this is for you. <laughs> yes. Uh, regardless of what kind of player you are, I think everyone's going to lose a lot of their games when they first start this. Like, I haven't fully started investing into this faction play-wise. I'm expecting to lose, like, my first, like, 10 games. And then... <laughs> I'll be I'll be lucky if by my eleventh game I'm like eking out a win. Yeah, because you just don't have the incredible durability that other factions can sometimes get to claw their way back from a big oop, you know, a big oopsie, for a sort of softer term. But yeah, you know, I feel like some armies are really good at like, oh man, I made a big mistake, but that's okay. My stuff will survive one turn of shooting, and then I'm back to my plan. Uh, Gene Steelers do not look like you have that leeway. If you make a big I mean, oopsie doodle, 
you, you might just be out of the game. The good news is, is that because there's so much of it, you can just kind of keep throwing trash at your opponent. So you make them pick between like, do I want to kill this trash or this slightly different trash? Which trash is better? I don't know. Like you can, it, but it's built to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and still accomplish things while doing so. Which fits the lore, I think. Like, you're a bunch of dudes with, like, mining picks and satchel charges and, like, Toyota Tacomas and dirt bikes fighting, like, I don't know, demigods, like, golden demigods with powerful spears that have, like, grenade launchers in them. And that have been around for potentially over 10,000 years. Like, yeah, you got, like, Billy the nid over here who's heading down to Speedway to pick up some smokes and a bag of Doritos. And in, on the way, he runs into giant space janitor cop. He goes, oh, fuck, man. What am I going to do? I don't know. Uh, I'm going to shoot you in my 22. The guy is a walking tank. Turns around and goes, that's cute. And then just impales him upon like this polearm named the end of eternity or whatever that's seen the death of gods. Like, with whatever. <laughs> I do. This is Custody's propaganda, and I support it. Yeah, so faction, like in, in summary, they play hard, but are very rewarding when you win. Like, every win you get with Gene Sir Cult feels like you earned it. Kind of like the Dark Souls faction of Warhammer 4K. Yeah, you had to get good. You, you definitely had to put some thought in there. It wasn't really handed to you. Unless you figure out how to just like walk in a circle around an enemy with a shield where your strafe rate is just a little faster than theirs. And then you just backstab the... them before they really get a chance to respond because you cheesed it. But that's okay because now you're at least starting your tournament 1-0. So you guarantee you won't get 5 out. Yeah, it's like a... How do, I, how do I say this? It's like a dodge roll stratagem you can use to just avoid... Losing your first game as you go one and four. (laughs) I mean, at least you got one win. So congratulations on that. Yeah. Uh, But speaking of playing this faction, getting started is kind of hard. Yeah, I was before the episode, I was kind of pondering how I was going to pitch my ideas to John to get started. And. Man, I could not come up with a succinct way to get into this. I think that there is a better way now than there was in the past, and that is the combat patrol box, right? Mm -hmm. In the combat patrol box, there is a lot of models. I think there's like three troops, a a Goliath rock grinder slash truck, and a like HQ piece or two. Like, there's a lot. There's is a huge value box that's worth buying multiple times, even if you can only use the character a couple of times, right? Mm-hmm. It's extremely good box value. Once that's out, I expect it to fly off the shelves for every Gene Steeler Cult player. Yes, especially uh, if you're new. Like, there's some stuff in there that if yes. you've been playing Gene Steeler Cults for quite a while, you, you might just not buy it because you already got all that. But if you have nothing... You still might. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the Goliath Rock Rider is a great kit, and it can also be a truck. Mm-hmm. Neophytes are always welcome. Acolytes are always welcome. The aberrants are also welcome. Like, there's just so much in that box. It, it is it is quite literally a box you could just buy multiple of and have an alarm mm-hmm. for it. That being said, I don't suggest you buy multiple boxes to start with. Uh, I suggest you buy one combat patrol box, maybe a patriarch because they go really well with that. That was going to be my big suggestion is putting a patriarch on there. 
Because it yes. is the quintessential su- leader of the faction. Yes. Um, I also suggest the Carolyn Morph because yeehaw, it's great. So much fun. And the Adeline Jackals because of their fun. Like, if you're getting into this, you like dirt bikes, you like yeehaw, pew pew, shoot, shoot. Like, you will, you will have a huge grand time. Now, as for learning this faction, which is not something we always drop in on this, you know, kind of meet this faction series. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes they're really straightforward. And to learn them, you yeah. just you just play them. You're going to be fine. Yeah, like looking at you, Space Marines and Custodes. Like, you'll yeah, be just right. get a little practice. You're going to remember your stratagems that are reactionary and you're going to be all right. I think here, though, I... you have to put in some concerted effort. Yeah, and you kind of you kind of got to play with somebody who's willing to be patient with you because I can almost guarantee your first couple of games are going to be very long. Because yeah. there's a lot of rules to remember, and you want to get it right. So I would find a friend, play a couple of games with them at lower point values, right? I would even go as far enough to say that an escalation campaign is perfect for Gene Slither Cold because it fits their narrative to a degree. Mm-hmm. And it also would be fun to play with somebody else, also probably learning a new faction. And it would allow you to start smaller, uh, like with a smaller force and slowly build up to what you think that you need in your toolbox while learning your faction and getting used to how they play and then expanding upon it. That's the best suggestion I have, which is what I'm actually going to try to do myself. I was just going to ask if that's what was your planned faction for uh, the potential crusade game after Joe Hammercon. It is. Uh, I'm going to try to learn this faction in a deep way. Similar to how I learned uh, Chaos Space Marines in the past. Uh, for those who don't know, I used to play Chaos Space Marines for like four years. And I knew that faction and almost every sub-faction inside and out because I had played them for as my only faction for years. Uh, I've since stopped and I'm waiting patiently for GW to stop being cowards and to give me world leaders. But... I'm going to try to do the same with Gene Slither Cult. Uh, I really want to stretch my commander legs, as it were, and get really good at, at playing the Gene Slither Cult. Uh, for long-time listeners of the show, people will know that Joe plays a similar force in his Sylvaneth. And even when his Sylvaneth are not great in the meta, he has never lost a game because he plays the objective really well. And I notoriously don't necessarily play the objective well. I mostly just am there for a... A good time, but not a long time. And I'm going to try a new tactic. I'm going to try to play a little more tactically and less uh, world eatery. <laughs> I mean, there's something to be said for just like the more experience you have with a faction, the more you can wring out every bit of potential from them in terms of like tricky objective focused plays and baits uh, to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat, even against armies that are mechanically more compelling um but before i could do that with sylvaneth i i had to play a crap ton of games crap ton of learning games uh so i'm interested to watch john go through that process because it's a little painful at first but it's all right we'll get you there yeah i can envision many many a times where i'm gonna cry over my dead dirt bikes and go (laughs) my (laughs) mind Yeah, they're going to get shut off the board a few times, but that's okay. You'll deep strike them or hide them in terrain or whatever, um, and you'll figure out a way to kind of wiggle your way into to win. And I don't need to uh, get to like a pinnacle level with them. I never plan on playing these as a tournament. No, this would be an right? awful tournament army for transport and like neural load. Man, 
I, th- I think for some players that really want to push their limits, it's for them. Or like really big competitive players, I think it's for them. It's not for me if I were to go to a tournament, because I have no illusions that if I went to a tournament, I'm not trying to get top table. I'm there to have a good time. Mm-hmm. I'm going to play dumb faction. <laughs> play a faction that <laughs> That's you where like. I would take world leaders. <laughs> like, uh, it's no secret both me and Joe have, have thought about going to a tournament in the future. Uh, if GW comes out with world leaders, I'll, I'll buy all the models, and I'll paint them all, and I'll go to every tournament with world leaders, and I'll wear a shirt that says cornflakes or something with like a Kentucky Fried Wargaming hat. And like a Hawaiian shirt, and I'll just talk about my sad dad stories. It'll be great. It's gonna be so fun! Oh my god, we'll have a blast! Yeah, um. you can be Sanguin. You can cosplay Sanguinius. I can cosplay Angron. <laughs> and uh... <laughs> no one else <laughs> is that finally clicking for you, bud. Oh uh, <laughs> god, damn it! To for the record, I look nothing like Sanguinius. These people don't know me. They might be picturing some beautiful man. I look nothing like Angron, okay? I'm also not turbo buff gladiator. Like, well, that's fair. <laughs> I feel like we're putting out some false advertising right now, John. We got to do some clarifying statements. I want ever I want every one of these listeners to know that me and Joe look like the same white guy. <laughs> <laughs> if you drove by us at more than two miles an hour, you would mix us up for one another. Uh, I want you to picture the most neutral bearded white dudes all right the biggest difference is that i have long hair and you don't that's true that's it <laughs> that's true whatever y'all just pictured is exactly what we look like don't you worry no questions needed uh but yeah sure i could try to put on a sanguineous cosplay it'll go terribly yeah it'll be fantastic i don't even play blood angels john my favorite primark is vulcan now yeah but you can't cosplay vulcan because that'd be fucking weird oh john i will not fall into that trap no no (laughs) (laughs) noty noty sir uh no we'll just get you to play raven guard and you'll you'll cosplay as your true uh space dad i have listened i was listening to the the lore from the amber king on uh on their primark corvus corax (laughs) yes god if i was 13 that would be my faction till the end yeah, fucking do it. <laughs> if I like I listened to that whole thing and I went, I bet Joe fucking loves this. <laughs> yeah, if I was just a tad younger, oh my god, yes, I would eat that up. I would. Uh I would play it till Tad the- younger, if this would have gotten you like two fucking years ago, bud, you'd already be painting that fucking black and white. Like- <laughs> yeah, uh luckily I had to wait till just after college to start playing, you know, because of the incredible price. But if they would have got me, like, second year of college or earlier, oh, buddy. Yeah, I'd have been listening to a Fidge Sevenfold nonstop and painting Commander Shrike while flipping my hair because we had the same haircut. Ugh, amazing. What a time. Fantastic. 10 out of 10. Although... Don't ever change. (laughs) I say I wouldn't do it now, although I'm currently in the middle of a long-term scheme to befriend all the crows in my neighborhood, so maybe I am Corvus Corex. Yeah, maybe you'll make a kill team of it. Who knows? Uh, Or a small force. Maybe. Maybe fun. Um, But John, I'm going to take it by all of our faffing about that we have said all that we have to say of importance for the Gene Steeler cults, because... there's so much more I could talk. If we about. dig in deeper, but though, I, it just like you end up so far in the weeds, you lose everybody. 
Yeah, and I, I don't want I don't want y'all to go, man. I wish these two fucking idiot dudes would shut the fuck up about Jesus. I want you guys to enjoy the faction. That being said, if you enjoyed this and would like more of this about other Jesus to the Cult stuff or other factions, you can let us know on the different social medias, on Twitter, on Instagram. Yeah, uh, we always love feedback, and we've heard from a few people that. Uh, recently that they really like the lore bits and they just want us to talk about lore uh, and that's something we can do just tell us what lore you want us to talk about or what factions and uh, well odds are I've probably already obsessed over it but I'd be happy to put it down to a digital format I'll do a three part series about the Badab War I don't give a fuck I'll talk about the Siege of Rax I love that shit uh, it'd be a great time <laughs> Uh, but we don't know really what to dive in on unless y'all help us. So we'd appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I'll do research. I'll read a book. John, we, I'll, we I'll... read all the time. Yeah, I know. We're fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and if you really, I'll, com- I'll compare the, I'll compare the Crimea war to the Badab war. I'll give a fuck. John, no. <laughs> uh, and if you really want to be a champion, feel free to share this podcast with your friends. You know, if one of them's thinking about getting into Gene Steeler cults. It might be a thing to help them get on in there. And we'd be happy for y'all to share the show. It always goes an extra mile. Um, and we'll be over here getting ready for Joe Hammercon uh, to Electric Boogaloo. Because that's going to come up in two weeks. So don't y'all worry. There will probably be a follow-up episode about how it went. Where we implement some of the changes we recommended from the first event into this one. So we could do a little follow-up to try to find even more changes and let y'all know how it was to host a second Wargaming event with more people. Hell, we might even, I don't know, take pictures, post them on the social medias. You might see our faces more than like the once or twice I've posted it. It'll be great. It might happen. By God, we might have a face reveal. I've heard those are big. Face reveal. Big. Big time face (laughs) reveal. But for now, that's been all of our opinions. Bonafide and Kentucky Fried. We'll see y'all on the next episode.